Hello lovers, go to entamopleasurables.com for your slippery needs and get 20% off with the WILD20 promo code. You'll thank me later. Running wild with Christine, sex, success, and other slippery rabbit holes. Welcome to episode 107 with Erica Gill. Hi, Erica. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm stoked because I have a, a few awesome guests coming up. How's your day been? Um, so my day has been um, quite eventful since I woke up at like 6 a.m. Um, like I shared, I just got back from taking my dog child to the groomer's. Um, my coworkers that are really more like my, my sisters and family now are coming over today. Um, because since the pandemic, we have not physically been in one another's company since March 13th. Um, one of my girlfriends just got married a couple weeks ago. One of them just passed her licensure exam last week. So she's now officially an LPC, a licensed, um, counselor. Nice. And, uh, one of the other people, um, had a baby in, in May. So, um, and I got married in June in yeah. the house. So we're all coming together to celebrate all these monumental transform, you know, transformative moments that have happened since the pandemic. That's um, amazing. And I'm like Susie Homemaker. So I just went out and got all the things to help, you know, keep the festivities um, feeling fun and light. And for me, food is a love language. Yeah. So, um, that's what I just got back in from doing. What are you making? Um... So I am making, I'm a baker, so I planned on making these kind of like, they're called decadent strawberry cookies, please strawberry flavored cookies with white chocolate chips. And, um, you know, I I put like a safe uh, edible like food glitter so that they look like iridescent and kind of sparkly and pretty. Oh my God, (laughs) that sounds amazing. um, And the rest are just like finger foods and and pizza because, you know. Yeah. We love our carbs in this house. So. <laughs> you got to have some sustenance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because there's going to be lots of champagne. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, like, you got to, I, I didn't know if you were a drinking household, but in my household, if there's no carbs, everyone's going to be, like, falling over within half an hour. So. Yes, and um, we're a bunch of counselors, so, you know, we pair our, we, we, you know, I don't know if I could say this, but we call it, you know, our sitting bitch, where we just kind of sit around. Yes, you can say it. <laughs> about all the strains of our our work with a nice glass of wine or champagne so yeah we'll make sure nobody's falling over in my brand new home so there's no incident that's amazing congratulations on these like huge milestones that's incredible you yeah um I felt this interesting internal conflict about the fact that you know again we're in this global pandemic where there have been so many um, tragedies, um, yeah. you know, lots of fear and um, just uncertainty. Um, but on the other end, I was having these wonderfully fantastic, you know, things happen and um, kind of juggling, you know, holding space for what the world is going through and yeah. um, even how it's impacting me, but also really making room for joy and reclaiming that joy. And, you know, if we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Mattering, yeah. making sure that we're talking about all the aspects of those lives and that also includes the celebrations and the, you know, the good things. So, um, I've been going back and forth on, you know, the appreciation and gratitude I have for that, but also recognizing, you know, some folks are having a hard time, um, me included at times. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, 
That's the interesting part about like the internal self work that the like staying at your house for most of us uh, who are privileged enough to be able to do that has like done of just like you're sitting with all of these feelings and you know sometimes you're equipped for it most of the time you are not equipped for it. <laughs> um, I-, I laughed when you said like the sitting bitch because basically I we were put in touch through Gian Kim's sitting bitch session on my podcast. So <laughs> I was like very familiar with those. <laughs> um, so for the listeners, um, let's uh, like sort of go back to basics. So you run a page called Mental Health Femme on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm pretty sure Twitter too. And um, you're based on the East Coast, Virginia, right? Yes, correct. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself in your own words for our listeners? Who Who are you? Yeah. Um, so I go by Erica Gale. Gale is my middle name. And funny enough, I've actually reclaimed that because my mother's middle name is Gale with an E. And um, growing up, everybody in the family addressed her as that. And sometimes they would call me Little Gale. Um, and I I didn't like it because I felt like Gail was, um, it sounded very matronly, yeah. <laughs> you know, and older. And I was a kid and I was a punk rock kid. So like, I was like, no, I don't like my middle name. Um, but as I've grown and come into my Saturn return, I've felt this um, connection to my mother and my maternal lineage. Uh, my mom and I are incredibly close. Like, that's an important fact to know about me also. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a mama's girl. I love my mom. Um <laughs> But anyway, I use that as my professional name um, to keep some semblance of, um, you know, anonymity. Yeah, I feel that. um, About my last name. But that said, um, I am 29 years old. I'm a Sagittarius. I'm a November Sagittarius. There is an important distinction. (laughs) Um, I am a crisis and trauma therapist at an interpersonal violence and sexual assault crisis response agency um, in the nonprofit setting. I am a resident. I still have uh, approximately a year and a half before I earn uh, my LPC, licensed professional counselor. Um, And I basically have for the past 15 years been an activist, an advocate, and in some roles um, acting as an organizer um, around social justice, human rights, the intersections of LGBTQ um, communities and, you know, marginalization. Um, And so in my former work, I was an LGBT advocate and ally engagement um, graduate assistant, and it was the only paid position at my university that dealt with LGBTQ issues. And um, I was the second person in that role, so I stayed in it for a couple years. And they ended up making a full-time position on it, but because I was pursuing my um, master's for mental health counseling and um, women and gender studies, I couldn't do that job. Yeah. So um, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I combined my passions and my education. So I found myself in my current job um, with the YWCA and, um, you know, I still bring with me my experiential knowledge and my um, love as an educator and um, you know, passion for facilitating dialogue with me to my counseling um, job. So the reason I say that is because I also do my agency's um, onboarding training for all new hires and staff, including volunteers and interns on racial justice. Yeah. So I do a racial justice and racism 101 um, training that goes far beyond the 101 that is, uh, you know, alluded to in the title, because I want folks to get as much out of it as they possibly can. And I'm always trying to radical, uh, radicalize any space that I'm in. Yeah. So um, 
Outside of what I do as an occupation, I also love to crochet. I have been playing video games for literally since I pretty much came out of the womb. Um, (laughs) So that's like a major hobby of mine. Like I said, I like to bake, you know, food as a love language. Um, Let's see. It always feels like the first day of school when people ask you, like, who are you? What do you like? And all of a sudden you're like, I'm a potato. I don't know anything. I don't know. What have I ever liked? Movies? Do I like anything? It's like those first date questions of just like, wait, what? I'm, am I interesting? What do I like? On the professional right. side, I feel like they train you to be like, these are the things that I know and these are the things that I do. And then you move into the person and you're like, ah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I guess if I did have to take it, you know, it's a little bit beyond, um, you know, that kind of not superficial, but again, what I do for work and things like that. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who very much values transparency and um, vulnerability as a radical practice. And so, last few years, I've just been really taking every opportunity I can to connect with folks and build community in whatever space I find myself in. And yeah. recent iteration, you know, has been this um, digital platform and. Um, I just really always describe myself. I come back to the word uh, facilitator. I think of myself as a conduit for people's, you know, healing journeys, Um, whatever I can do and, and, you know, whatever way I can act as a resource. um, I kind of feel like that's my purpose. And that's how, um, you know, I, I envision myself using this space um, to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, I'll just, be, I'll, I'll park it there for now. Yeah. Yeah. How, when did you realize that that was the way that you wanted to occupy your space? Like, is there like a moment where you went like, ah, this is, this is what I do well. And this is what I want to do better. Yeah. So funny enough, I did a live yesterday that really overlaps with that question mm-hmm. because I was talking about fawning as like a trauma response mm-hmm. um, and how I noticed that I fawn in, in social media. And so to answer your question, um, I was a MySpace kid. I was part of Generation MySpace. Yep. Um, I was, you know, it always sounds so funny to say this out loud, but I was MySpace famous. And, um, <laughs> you know, it started to feel strange because people would make um, fake profiles of me. People would say that they were like in a relationship with me or that they knew me when they didn't because yeah. <laughs> the internet yeah um early internet too right like 2005 so I got off the platform and um switched over to tumblr in 2010 and I found this beautiful community of radical black feminists and you know black queer folks and really started to find my voice there mm-hmm. and my page that was the first time I ever dedicated a space to talking about social justice and you know, just whatever the current issues were yeah. in a way that was accessible. Yeah. Um, so that was the platform I first got, uh, you know, beyond the MySpace popularity, um, a larger following. So there were like four to almost 5,000 folks in the space. And um, it started to feel like, not even feel, it actually was happening that people were demanding me to do this output of information yeah there were people coming into the you know my inbox and actually being upset with me for not speaking on x y and z issue um 
I felt like I was being consumed, like I was a product that had to, you know, maintain this certain level of output and productivity for my value to be recognized. Yeah. Because as much as the things I was saying, you know, I can say were important. Um, anytime I talked about myself, you know, I was still in school. I was a grad student. I was in a relationship. I had some um, health issues starting to emerge. And whenever I would talk about those things, it was, you know, mom, crickets. So I got off of the Tumblr and <laughs> the Tumblr, <laughs> got off of Tumblr in like 2014, 2015. Um, and then enter Lacey. So Lacey was my best friend who is now um, deceased. She passed away in 2017. Mm. And prior to that, she was like my biggest cheerleader. Like homegirl sometimes was like gassing me up to the point that I was like, okay, like, you know, it's, it's not that serious. Like, you know, cause she wanted me to have a YouTube channel and, you know, um, all the things because she just was always saying that people need to hear what you say. Um, because yeah. outside of the work I did in my community, you know, I, I like to write. Yeah. So, um, last year, right before I was going to graduate from my master's program, um, another close friend of mine who also knew Lacey passed away suddenly. And it was really, really hard on me because I was still in my grief from Lacey and Mm -hmm. a couple other friends that had also, you know, unexpectedly passed away very young. And I said, you know, life is too short. I have to stop living in this imposter syndrome that I always find myself in of thinking Mm -hmm. that everybody else is saying it better, right? Everybody on Twitter, everybody on Facebook, people with podcasts, you know, they're saying it better. They're, who's going to want to hear you say these right? things? Right? Yeah. But um, I said, well, I want to hear the things I have to say because I'm a verbal processor and I love talking to myself. That's how I work out so yeah. many yeah. of my internal issues. <laughs> so um, I just set out with the purpose of having a conversation with myself and hoping that if anybody was listening, you know, I always say that I'm just like kind of screaming into the void. Yeah. Um, it would resonate. And yeah. if folks found it, you know, something that they resonated with, then we could have that dialogue together. Yeah. Um, and so that was February of last year. And from there, the rest is... <laughs> is what it is now. <laughs> How do you feel about where you are now? Like, do you, do you feel like you're like, this is what I imagined? Or is it like beyond sort of anything that you were like, oh, it's going to look like this? Absolutely the latter. It is beyond um, what I thought it would come to be. Um, So what I didn't say is that whenever my numbers on a platform climb, so does my anxiety. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, The way I described it in the live yesterday is that sometimes it feels like being in a pitch black room with thousands of eyes on you and they all see you, but you can't see See them. them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person that is in recovery from people pleasing. Yeah. Call myself a people pleaser in recovery. (laughs) And so part of that is, like I said, I'm, I'm also dealing with anxiety. Um, I also have uh, complex PTSD and, um, I'm an introverted person and people don't often believe that because I do get in front of, I mean, I've, I've spoken in front of rooms of 300 people. Um, I've delivered keynotes I've been, um, you know, I've been the keynote speaker at conferences. Yeah. Um, 
But I think it's different when I know, um, I can see everybody, right? And I know like who the folks in the room are or that we're all there on the same page. Whereas with social media, um, because there's such a wide variety, you know, of, of reach, it's a global, you know, it's a global platform that people engage with. So getting back to how I feel about it, I often feel like it's just little old me, right? Like I'm just Erica talking about the things that I think are relevant. I'm processing through my shit, you know, if it's <laughs> applicable, then I love that for you. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just putting this out there so that my spouse doesn't hear 98% of my thoughts because poor thing is my soundboard for everything. <laughs> I have one of those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like it's, it's so bad. So, um, like I said, I set out just to have a space to, to process, to vent and to debrief and, you know, share the things that I think may be helpful for others. So seeing where it is now, um, and I think especially the the caliber, if you will, yeah. of people who have engaged in the space and, and come to get to know me or, um, you know, trying to be in community with me as far as like having um, collaborations on yeah. Instagram Live or things like that. I've just been blown away. And again, final point with my spouse, you know, he hears all the time, like I'll wake up and I'll just be like, oh my God. <laughs> there's another hundred people or there's, you know, um, so-and-so like the biggest thing I'm going to name drop real quick. Go for it. Like Mina Savari just reached out and was like, Erica, I'm so in love with you and your page. Like, thank you for, I'm like, I, I screenshot the DM because I was like, this is never going to happen again. Like <laughs> nobody of this caliber. I mean, you know, like I wasn't, I had a crush on Mina Savari as a 12 year old. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. So, <laughs> slide in my dms and be like saying my name and being like i hope you're doing well and i'm just like what all because of this little page that i made last year um so you know i just um i think of lacy a lot because she you know i believe that wherever she is she sees what's happening yeah and i'm sure that she's the one that's just like all right y'all like y'all gotta go you know listen to my friend like get everybody <laughs> get over here because i'm like i don't know where these people are coming from well, and I think like it's funny because we talked about this on the last episode that just aired. Um, like we, you know, when you you saying like the caliber of people, like we still consider. Like I was talking about watching Expecting Amy, you know, like the three episodes that she put out about like how tough her pregnancy was and Amy Schumer, and mm -hmm. and it was like we were talking about how you almost want to hear people of your caliber, whoever you are and wherever you think that you belong, like, because those people are inevitably not you. Like, they're, mm -hmm. you know, we're like, yeah, people are people, but you're also like, that That life is not my life. Like, there's no way that my right. life is that life. Mm -hmm. And And I think the more that we put out vulnerability out there, the more that we are literally having conversations with ourselves and not... And keeping that in mind, like, I hear you saying it to yourself, like, you know, I'm, this is what I'm doing and I'm going to keep this as sort of like the essence of what I do is just like to have that conversation with myself. I think those seem to be the ones that do resonate the most mm -hmm. because we are all the same fucking people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Regardless of the, the difference in caliber, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's been probably the lesson that I've been learning the most in this year and some change because 
I started the page, like I said, right before I graduated and I was, you know, lucky enough to find employment almost immediately after yeah. um, leaving my program. So they've really happened alongside each other. So there's been this parallel processing where literally what I'm experiencing in my workplace, um, like I said, I, I speak from a place of experiential knowledge and, you know, kind of my own epistemological, like everything that I've carried through life. Yeah. Um, I use that with my clients and then I come and I translate it into, you know, the social media formatting where it's just, you know, a quick blurb and a meme, but condensing all of that. Yeah. And it's like, because it's coming from this place of, you know, one intentionality, yeah. um, but also authenticity and genuineness. Um, yeah. It's like people really connect with it because it speaks to I always say, you know, the the general human condition, like mm. the essence of humanity, the struggles yeah. that we all universally, oftentimes, regardless of class, gender, ability, status, you know, nationality, will experience. Um, and so, it's been interesting to see both my clients getting the benefit of that, and then I come over to you know the app, share the same bits of information, and it's the same response, which just affirms for me what's happening, you know? Yeah. Um, and I also really cling to this kind of mantra I have of purpose over popularity Yeah. that regardless of how many numbers are on the app, who comes into the space, my intentions, my purpose will stay the same. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as I'm staying to that and keeping grounded in that, I feel you know, that's, that's just what it is. <laughs> yeah. I think I, there's also like a few interesting pieces there. Um, that when you were saying at the beginning, like screaming into the void, like, I feel like there's almost like, uh, like a very tangible for me anyway, safety blanket and like low numbers, you know what I mean? Or like when you cross over to a platform that you're not usually on and it's like, who cares? Nobody's going to see this, you know, and you're just, you judge yourself less <laughs> and you're like, whatever. Um, and, and in keeping it quote unquote small, it's like, I can, you know, I can fuck up here. This is relatively fine. And then it starts to get out of hand. And, and, and it's really, for me, reassuring um, as a person who is putting out content to hear you say that you have to stay grounded in that, because that's something that I have to also like remind myself of just like, you know, it's just little old me. Like, what do I know? What do I have to, you know? And, and, and I think that's, something that applies to literally anyone who whoever speaks out their their own truths you know because mm -hmm. yeah. it, it can be so easy to succumb to the imposter syndrome and succumb to the anxiety voices you know just being like shh don't you don't have, like it's safer to yeah. just not <laughs> yeah well and you know so it's like um i think what happens too is that sometimes we get so comfortable in the digital spaces that we, um, they, they become like kind of a microcosm. And so mm -hmm. where I'm going with that is um, it's easy when you're in your small bubble that's kind of curated with the community that you share. Yeah. So, you know, I set out with this space being uh, for Black, Indigenous, folks of color, um, and especially those who are in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. But, you know, and it used to actually be in my bio, but it said all are welcome. Like yeah. that's who the purpose is, but all are welcome. I've since had to take out that just to put that I don't offer therapy in my DMs. Um, <laughs> the reason I brought that up is because now that it's crossed over past the 10,000, 
there are a lot of different people engaging with yeah. the content that I'm putting out. And I can't necessarily control that beyond what, you know, making my page private. Yeah. But if I wanted it to be private, I would just write in my journal. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Um, so what's always interesting there is that, yeah, you start to feel like, okay, how can I maintain the focus of this page to speak to my intended audience mm-hmm. when there's all these other people who might not come from that background or not even know anything about that? Cause that's something that's happened too, where, um, maybe one of my just, you know, mental health posts goes viral. And so then a thousand people come in because of that mental health post. But then the next day I'm posting like, pay black women, pay, pay black trans women, you know, yeah. and they're like, wait, what? Yeah. And I'm like, what you thought? <laughs> like, did you see where you were? Or no. And then I get this like confusion in my brain of like, okay, how can I be more clear? But then I don't want to alienate, but then, and then it's like, it's getting away from me. And then I have to remember, come back, Mm -hmm. come back to yourself, come back to your purpose, right? Like, you know, your values, you know, the things that you're setting out to do. Yeah. Stay in your purpose. Yeah. It's almost Um, like you need the void. You need to like, it's almost like you need to keep feeling that way even if like the void's coming back to you to just be like Mm -hmm. nope I'm just putting it out there and then once it's out there it's not up to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not up to me what happens to it Mm -hmm. but um what you said um in passing that you also write um is 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 that a big goal or do you mean like write because I saw that you have a bunch of articles posted in your in your link tree and like a lot of like writing pieces are you thinking of writing something bigger this is the writer talking in me. <laughs> so imposter syndrome yeah. is such, it's such a pain in the ass because <laughs> it just, it just is because it disproportionately impacts. And this is, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about this earlier. Um, it disproportionately impacts black and brown folks and especially black and brown marginalized genders. Yeah. Um, just, you know, the, the further intersectional um, marginalization you experience, of course, naturally, the more you have to try to fit into these, you know, um, institutions that really only have one ideal of, uh, you know, who belongs. Yeah. And so I, I share that because I always, even right now, have a voice in my head that's like, okay, you call yourself a writer, but nobody wants to read your work. And literally every piece I've written that I've read, um, whether it was at a conference or a colloquium or just in a classroom or on my medium um, account, people are like, okay, so when are you publishing this? (laughs) Like, do you want me to help you publish this? And I'm like, yeah, you know, that sounds good. Like, let me just kind of clean it up a bit. And then I'm just like, pushes to the side, (laughs) you know, hopes they forget about it. Um, Because there's just always this voice in my head. And, you know, I know who the critic is. It comes from my my childhood. I grew up in a home with a um, narcissistic abusive parent. And so, Mm. you know, I I recognize that, Mm. but it's still as, as much as I've silenced or pushed it down, it still has just enough that I can hear 
I don't know if he'll pick that up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, it's just that little part of me that um, I'm still working on. And that's where mental health fem comes in. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm kind of safely testing that, okay, you know, I'm writing all, like, anytime you see a caption on a post, that's my writing. Yeah. Um, I credit every person whose tweets I re, you know, repost or anything. But other than that, all of the content is my own. And, you know, the feedback that I get is the feedback that I've almost always received, which is very positive. So um, I'm just building up that courage. Like I said, I'm in my Saturn return. <laughs> maybe um, maybe when I turn 30 this year, I'll finally say, okay, you know, let me just, yeah. let me stop playing humble when I know I'm great, <laughs> to it's, be honest. It, yeah. I mean, I turned 30 this year, so, <laughs> but I'm a January Capricorn. Do you mind saying when your birthday is? January 6th. 6th. Can we segue there really quick? Yeah. So um, I also just recently did a poll on um, like what what are your, uh, what's your chart basically? Yeah. And it was so interesting that all of these different people responded, but it was super heavy on Sagittarius, Capricorn, Leo, um, Scorpio, and Taurus. Yeah. All of those things are in my chart. And my closest relationships have been with Capricorns. <laughs> I am always surrounded by Capricorns. <laughs> well, do you know what? And I think it's funny because we, I'm going to make a generalization about January Capricorns, whatever. Um, we are known to be the doers. You know, like I still have imposter syndrome, but I have a fraction of what other people have. I'm like, I'm just going to do it and think about it later. Um, (laughs) And I think I think that's sort of like where I love engaging with people who are more in touch with those sides of them, because I'm like, I, I very aware of the fact that I push those aside. And then I'm like, like, I will have that anxiety moment after like, yeah it's gonna come in like a wave but it's gonna be after and there's gonna be very little I can do about it um <laughs> but but it's it's um the I've conversely never had anyone be like can I help you do that because I don't air the I need help thing I'm like I yeah. can do this like even if I can't yeah. and so go ahead <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> So that's another thing that I was talking about yesterday. Not only do I struggle with asking for help, but because of that, I have modeled for others that I don't need help Mm. because I am the helper. Yeah. I don't receive help. And that's what's been happening. Um, Well, that's what has happened in the past with my social media platforms is, again, this um, expectation that, you know, Erica's going to provide the resources and the tools that we need to facilitate our healing, to to educate ourselves, right, to be better people. But like like I said earlier, when I was struggling, right, like I've had more friends than I can count in the past five years have passed away. In fact, I just lost one of my childhood friends the second friend that I ever made when I moved to the state of Virginia. So I was 12 years old. I'm he so just sorry. passed away two weeks ago. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, it's just something as simple as that, right? Just acknowledging that human experience of grieving a loved one, uh, somebody that's, you know, gone, 
um, where that's very um, rare for me when, you know, you seem like you are put together or like, you know, you're this positive person where I, I struggle with that because I say what I am is a kind person. Mm-hmm. I'm not always nice. I'm not always happy. I'm not always on. I'm not always having a good day. Yeah. I work in trauma. Yeah. I work with sexual violence and I'm a, I'm a children's counselor. So you can imagine Ooh. then some of the stories that I'm hearing and, you know, that's my day, day in and day out. So yeah. I'm not always in a good, you know, mental space of my own. Yeah. And it's like people either don't see that or don't want to, because Mm. I don't know if, you know, I always say I'm a mirror Um, in my therapeutic work. I I call myself a mirror because again, if we talk about that human condition, Mm -hmm. the fact that most of us, you know, are universally connected. um, Sometimes you can bring up things that people don't want to see. Yes. Something I think, I've noticed that I do is that, you know, I'm a very transparent person. So I I feel that I model that for others, but I think that people don't like thinking that somebody like myself who seems to, you know, know so many things or be so put together can also struggle and not have their shit together. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, some of my clients have even shared, um, the few who know like little bits of disclosed information about me, like, you know, man, if you're, if you don't know what to say about this, there's no hope for me. <laughs> and that's, and that's crazy. Cause I think it also relates to the thing that we were talking about earlier about like othering ourselves from the experiences of others, like regardless of whether, because we think they're famous or because we think they're this, or because we think they have it together. It's like, we, we want to, as humans, it seems like just feel alone in our experience. I feel like there's not that we want to like consciously, but I feel like there is sort of like a habit of just being like, no, like, I don't want to know what is like, yes, I want to know part of your problem so I can relate to you, but I also don't want to suddenly feel burdened with your actual mm. existence. Mm-hmm. And that's, sure. that's a super tough thing to balance, especially when we create digital communities and they do serve such a ben- beneficial purpose of bringing people together that normally wouldn't have crossed paths. But also there's like a big risk there of just, you know, the, the Instagram risk that we, that we know is there of just seeing a fake life as a real one, you know? Yes. yes. Um, and it's funny because before, you know, we didn't outline what we were going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So I, I swear um, I, I have a very strong intuition because this morning um, I was thinking about the fact that, um, Oh my God. And it's like, this is a cruel joke because it just got away from me. (laughs) Please say again what you did about being in the digital space. And yes, we were talking about the fact that we want to separate ourselves from other people that we want to like relate to others, but we don't want to feel burdened with someone's real existence. And that, um, what else was Mm, I saying? Yes. Oh, I got it. Yeah. No, there. Thank you. So I was thinking this morning about how I am the exact same person off the internet as I am in real life, if not a thousand percent more intense, <laughs> like I actually dial it down for y'all Me too. because I swear if y'all knew all the things that I want to talk about and do like y'all would be flooded how I feel flooded <laughs> at times. So yeah, I'm actually more than what you see. I don't put, uh, you know, when I say that I curate my life, it's dialing it down. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not curated in a way of like, 
okay, I want people to perceive this image Mm -hmm. of me, right? Because in all honesty, I'm not that concerned with what people's perception of me is because again, a person who um, lives in their truth can't be shamed and you can't, you know, I own my narrative and that's how I feel. So that's again, what grounds me. But at the same time, when there are so many people, how much can you it handle? gets really hard. Yeah, how much can you handle yes. of me? <laughs> I mean, that's that's really funny because, again, like the universe resonates in weird ways. Um, I, I published a memoir, as some of the listeners know, two years ago. And yesterday, someone was like, got a copy off of me. And they were like, oh, and then we'll go for a drink and you'll tell me what's not in the book. And I was like... I don't think there's not, I don't think there is things that's not in the book. It, like, like there's, there's nothing that I was like this, you know what I mean? And, and it's yeah. funny that, that you just mentioned all the topics that we mentioned because in the book, I ended up including this huge piece about grief that I didn't see coming because in my head, this was a story about, you know, female sexuality, female coming, like my personal coming to terms with my sexuality, my understanding of sex, my understanding of relationships, my understanding of like my existence and Mm -hmm. my grandmother passed away. And then this huge piece of emotion just somehow ended up in the book. And I'm sorry if this is a spoiler for anybody. (laughs) It's in the book. Um, And it just kind of is a piece that, of all the feedback I got over the last two years, I think two people sat down. Like when I was like, what do you think? You know, like people who actually know me and two people were like, that was my favorite or that, or even mentioned that part that is a huge, because it's such, again, it's like, you don't want to take all of it. You don't want Mm -hmm. to be actually opening these, you know, Pandora's boxes with people, Mm -hmm. even though that's where we could gain the most and actually processing all of our experiences, you know? Yep. Um, And I talk about that too, uh, you know, how strange it is sometimes to grieve so publicly Mm. um, because I think that we really live in a culture that um, is uncomfortable with grief. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to me, in American culture, we're uncomfortable with complex and strong emotions as a whole. Yeah. Just because of, you know, the colonial beliefs of what is, you know, civil behavior and patriarchal um, white supremacy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, grief is a complicated emotion because it doesn't quite ever go away. You build a life around your grief. Yeah. Um, And so with my friend Lacey, you know, she, I've lost people before her, but she was um, such a uh, quintessential person in my life and just, uh, one of the most vibrant and like lively people that it really, really impacted me. So, you know, she comes up a lot in day-to-day things for me. Yeah. And, you know, I feel the best way to honor a person is to, to tribute, to, um, to acknowledge them, yeah. you know, to talk about them and to share their essence with others. So I do that. But even when I do that, I have this, Again, that voice in the back of my head that is like, oh, God, you know, people are going to be like, again, get over it. Move on. You know, like that was your friend. It wasn't even your lover or your family member. It's so brutal. 
how people and I honestly it's so funny to hear you say that because I do that to my mother about my grandmother and I hear myself do it and sometimes I'm like what the fuck is wrong with you like she'll be like oh what would grandma say now or what would and I'm like grandma again and like just because I'm uncomfortable with my own grief and hers like her version of grief Mm -hmm. for the same person and and I'm like how how deep does that shit run if I like I mean, my mother's a Leo, so we have a complicated relationship, but, <laughs> but we know each other very well. And so I, she turned into a version of herself I'd never met before when that happened. I'd never, expe- I'd never expected my strong, like, unbreakable single mother to, like, fall yeah. apart. I did not yeah. see that coming. That is something that just, like, completely took the ground from under my feet on yeah. top of the grief that was, that I was experiencing. And so I think it just brings that shit up. And, and if that's doing it to me in such a, like a small close quarters, like my mother and her mother, mm-hmm. imagine the ripples of exactly what you were saying. Like people who don't know you and don't have the experience and suddenly are confronted with whatever grief they are still dealing with yes, or not dealing well, with. And so that's, that's what has actually been beautiful is that, you know, when I, share those things and have that critical voice, but you know, I still put it out there. So just like you said earlier, you do, and then you deal with the anxiety, if any afterward. Yeah. I'm the same. Um, I put it out there and I have that voice. That's like, oh, people are going to be so like, ugh, groaning, but I get such positive reception to it. People Mm -hmm. are like, thank you for this because I've been struggling with this too. Mm -hmm. You know, I just lost so-and-so and I haven't found the space to talk about it, or I don't know how to talk about it, or I feel shame and guilt around it. Yeah. Thank you. And it's like, wow, you know, the, again, that human connection, that rawness, that authenticity is what people really connect with and, Mm. um, and crave. Yeah. And, and yes. And that's what I was going to say. I was going to say in need or yeah, you know, it's, it's very much, something that many of us are craving because of how it lacks outside mm. of social media. Yeah. And um, of spaces, I think, you know, it's again, like you were saying at the beginning, it's so easy to create a little bubble for yourself where those are things that happen. You know, it's not so easy, but it can be easier in small personal bubbles, but there are so many people out there who don't even have those bubbles or don't even have one person to have those conversations with or or speak their feelings with you know going Mm -hmm. back into counseling um that i think that's also what probably blows us away when we put out any kind of vulnerability like the response because so many people out there don't even have the semblance of like a safe space to do that you know yeah. Yeah. And, um, one of my, you know, girlfriends that's coming over today, that's one of my coworkers. Um, when I first started this and was working, um, uh, at the beginning of my career there, um, I told her like, Hey, you know, I'm starting to get all these followers and it's making me kind of, you know, anxious. Cause I'm like, again, little old me. Yeah. Um, and she said, but Erica, those people aren't in your corner of the internet. They might be, you know, other people might be saying this, but they're not saying it the way you You are. And they're not talking about all the same things that you are. So you might be the first person that somebody's heard say this in whatever way. And that's what they're looking for. So she was like, don't, you know, don't 
shortchange yourself mm -hmm. um, or limit yourself because the way you articulate things is going to be different from the next person. And that in itself can have value. Exactly. So um, that's what's also been funny is that, you know, seeing people say, wow, you know, I never thought about this or I never knew about that or I never, you know, um, conceptualized it that way. Or, you yeah. know, even if that's not my experience, I feel like now I've broadened my perspective, like whatever the feedback that has also, you know, kept me going despite whatever self-criticism I might have. Um, yeah. Because I just want, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an educator at my heart. I just love sharing knowledge and I just want people to not feel isolated and, yeah. you know, all the things. Yeah. I have a couple last questions for you because our time is almost running out. Okay. Um, one of them is how do you fill your cup? Oh, so I fill my cup, I don't know if this is cheating, but actually by... Um, doing what I do on Instagram. So um, because of the fact that in the counseling world or just in my world, uh, there aren't that many people who I can actually talk to about my work or my day-to-day, -day, um, having that outlet really helps me because, like I said, it's, it's how I process and let things go. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, before the pandemic, I would get massages and mm -hmm. um, talk to my massage therapist as though she were my therapist, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I'm so thankful for. I love you, Macy. <laughs> um, and like I said, I write, so I, I write poetry. I have a poetry zine. I'm working on my second one. Um, well, I was going to pull it up. Not that the audience would see it, but <laughs> it's called hymns for no one. And, um, writing has just always been my outlet, whether I'm journaling i have all my journals from when i was 12 years old up until like 24 25 crazy still have them reread <laughs> them all the time um and i just because like i said i'm an introverted person i really recharge when i just have time to sit and reflect and be introspective yeah um i really love processing through my thoughts you know internally um like i said i talk to myself a lot um and being in community you know talking to folks who share, you know, my various memberships of, you know, whether it's in the LGBT community, whether it's other black folks doing the organizing and activist work, um, just not feeling alone. That's yeah. how I kind of fill my cup is um, allowing people to pour back into me. Yeah. So not um, just giving, giving, giving and, you know, making a martyr of myself like I've been known to do with the, the fawning yeah. um, and just allowing people to pour back into me. And like I said, my spouse hears everything. So he helps a lot. <laughs> Shout out to him. Um, <laughs> and so the last question that I ask everybody, so it's a super easy question, not, um, <laughs> what's a thing that you've either learned or started telling yourself that you wish you'd known, that you wish someone would have told you? Like a thing that like resonates and you're like, fuck, like if this was like more inherent or if someone told me, it would have changed a lot. Not that you want to change it, but it would have. Um, I think that healing is not actually an individual labor, that mm. self-care is not that effective without community care. Um, and this is kind of tied into it. So again, I don't, I don't know if I'm cheating by doing this, but you know, that you are still worthy of love, even if you don't know how to practice self-love that well. So as yes. a survivor of so many different forms of abuse, 
Um, I didn't really love myself. I didn't really allow other people to love me. Um, and I felt like because I didn't quote unquote love myself, I didn't want other people to love me. Um, but I realized that, you know, it's not my fault that I didn't have healthy models of love and that nobody really told me what it looked like to love yourself or practice self-compassion and the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem. So getting back to the question, I just really wish I had known earlier on that um, despite you know the abuses and traumas I suffered, I was still a lovable person and that other people could love me you know, um, not in spite of that or because of that, but just because, you know, it's, it's a part of me and that, um, you know, in order for me to heal, I couldn't just take it all on my own and feel like, you know, sometimes people say you didn't create the trauma on your own, but you have to heal it, heal from it on your own. I don't think that gets it all the way. I think it's important for an individual to feel empowered to take their healing into their own hands, but it requires, extra support. It requires community support, a strong support system, allowing yourself to be helped, to be loved. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that absolutely. And I think hopefully this year has taught more of us that community is way more important than we've allowed it to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, America is an individualistic society, but that has really caused so much of us harm because we grow up not using our interpersonal support systems the way that would be so much more helpful and healing to so many of us. You know, we feel, and I think, you know, to kind of summarize our talk, that's what I've loved about having this mental health fan platform is that exact yeah. thing is happening people are realizing that they are worthy of connection. They are worthy of community. They're worthy of love, even if they've been through absolute hell and don't always feel like they are deserving of that. It's still there for them. That community is still there for them and will be there. And I love being a part of that and helping connect people. And, you know, like I said, facilitate their healing. Yeah. And also be there for each other as we are Mm -hmm. doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much, Erica, for your time today. This was amazing. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, I, like I said, we didn't know where that was going to go, but I feel very um, glad to be able to get that off my chest. <laughs> Good, me too. So, if um, for all of you listeners, you can find Erica at Mental Health Femme on Instagram and all the other platforms. And um, yeah, what else do you want to plug? Um, Black Lives Still Matter. Yes, um, that includes Black trans folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to say that our planet is also in crisis and um, Mm -hmm. to educate yourself on what's happening with a lot of land defenders and land protectors, especially those who are um, of indigenous communities because they are doing such important work and unfortunately facing such extreme forms of violence. And we have to remember that when we talk about any type of racism or climate change, we have to talk about um, environmental racism and how that impacts us. And um, yeah. I just I'm grateful for the opportunity again and hope to meet some new folks in the space after this. Me too. And thank you all for listening. Um, You know where to reach us if you need us. In the meantime, um, give yourself some pleasure. Until next time.